Oh, baby, baby. Good evening, it is November 9th, 2020. It is your boy, Notorious Essay, aka Steve Anderson, aka Sigh of Relief. Well, if you've been checking the news recently and have coming back since my last podcast, Joe Biden has, by all accounts, officially been declared the winner of the race for the presidency. So now that we have an incoming Biden administration, what has the Trump administration done so far? Have they gracefully accepted defeat and have worked towards building a better transition? Of course not. Now, I want to make some things clear just right off the bat here. So, two things can be true at the same time. One is that the news networks, including the Associated Press, CNN, Fox, and everyone else that we have been watching incessantly for the last six days, use math to determine if it's possible for a race to go in a different direction. And if they can no longer see any mathematical way for one candidate to win, they will call that election for the other candidate. Now, we were waiting for days before somebody broke the dam, and it looks like CNN was the one to do it on Saturday around 11.30 p.m. Sorry, 11.30 a.m. Central Time. And the floodgates opened, and all of a sudden it had been declared that Joe Biden was the president-elect of the United States. And I gotta tell you, even though I had been celebrating a few days before that, to finally see it be called by most of the networks and to have the coverage go into president-elect Biden and soon-to-be former President Trump, and just seeing all across social media, the demonstrations, the cheering, the clapping, the pot banging, the bells ringing, the dancing, the music, people were happy. I'm sure a lot of them were happy that Trump lost, but many of them were happy that this election went off, frankly, without much of a hitch. It took a while to count all the ballots. They're still being counted, and all of the other technical processes that have to occur still have to occur. But it looks like we had the highest turnout in 100 years, and in a clean sweep, we were able to see President-elect Biden flip several states from Donald Trump and win the highest vote total in presidential history. Popular vote total. It would appear, based on the electoral math, that Joe Biden will win about 306 electoral votes, counting the states that he currently is in the lead and is likely to hold pending any litigation or recount or whatever else is coming our way. And I'm not going to lie, I was pretty excited. I voted for Joe Biden. I supported Joe Biden. And I believe he was the best person for the job. And sure enough, looks like a vast majority of the American public agree with me. Now that doesn't mean that we can just ignore what everyone else did and if you've been following me on social media, you probably are aware that I've been talking to the people who 
were very adamant about accepting the results immediately in 2016, talking about having to delay it now. And there are certain people who will never accept it, and I'm not here to reach out to them. But what I do want to let you know is that as of right now, when you're watching conservative media, if you follow people like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin or whoever else, or if you're in the Trump camp, or if you're apparently still a large portion of the Republican Party, you believe that the election isn't over. And this hinges on the technicality that we haven't certified the vote counts, that they haven't gone through all of the court procedures and all of the processes that would occur normally in most cases haven't been fully played out. Now, mind you, four years ago, when it was clear that Trump would win the Electoral College vote and thus the presidency, these same people were telling us to just accept the results that trying to litigate it would only do harm to the country and that trying to drag the process out would be an anti-democratic move that hurts all of us. The same people, the same people who were telling everyone to own it and accept it and drank liberal tears that when Trump won are now claiming fraud on a massive scale. And I hate to see it, people that I know and people that I know are smarter than this believing this nonsense that the only reason Trump lost is because of widespread voting fraud across multiple states, which is just, it's just ludicrous. It's not happening. There is no massive irregularities. All of this is just spin and PR from the Trump team trying to delay the inevitable and soften a blow from the massive rejection they received from the American populace. And while I will point out that, of course, we still have to wait for all the other votes to be counted, that there will be recounts, that the president's legal team will continue to file challenges and likely lose, eventually, the states will certify the vote counts. These certified vote counts will result in the electors of the respective parties for the winners of that state being sent to their capitals to cast their votes. And these votes will confirm that Joe Biden won the presidential election. That's the very technical sense of the word. And I know it's hard to remember anything beyond last week, but four years ago, when President Trump won the Electoral College, there was a movement of people calling themselves the Hamiltonian electors who were trying to convince electors who were pledging to vote for Trump to vote for Hillary or to try to change something so that they could stop him from being president. And many in the MAGA crowd were incensed by this. They were furious that the Electoral College would try to change the will of the people because they had a personal beef with President Trump. These same people are now trying to get Republican legislators to fill their own slates of pro-Trump electors, to send them in place of the people who rightfully won the electors of the people of that particular president's party to try to have and maintain power. It's sad. It's sad and it's un-American and it's just a rejection of the facts on the ground. But you know what? Some people have a vested monetary interest in doing this. Some people may actually believe it and others are using it as part of their political calculation to try to consolidate support wherever they can. You'd hate to see it in the Republican Party that Trump even in the face of a massive defeat, still has this kind of hold. 
and I was really hoping it would break a lot faster, but you know, progress is progress and eventually Trump will leave the White House. I wrote something on Twitter, which I also posted to Facebook, that I feel like is worth saying now because, you know, while I am sitting here talking about Trump losing and being ungrateful and those in his immediate orbit trying to clutch onto power for as long as possible and the politicians who are using that kind of sentiment to gin up their own support, I do want to send a message out to the millions of Trump voters out there who don't necessarily fall into those camps. There are millions of people who voted for President Trump, believing that he was the best choice for the presidency, or that they couldn't stomach the idea of a Biden presidency, or they were not a fan of what they thought the Democratic Party was going to do. So this is a statement from myself that I wanted to read because I think it it matters a lot. And some of it I've already said, but I just want to put it in context. So. This is a thread for anyone who supported President Trump in 2020. First off, it's clear not all of you who supported Trump are racist, homophobe, reactionary fascists who want to ruin American democracy. People vote for who they vote for. We disagreed, but I respect your right to do so. Clearly, the 70 plus million people who voted for Trump did so as well. And while technically there are lawsuits and pending recounts before the official certification of the votes, it's mathematically clear who is going to win. The idea of sending Trump slates of delegates where he didn't win, as Mark Levin suggests, is un-American and wrong. Just like when the Hamilton electors tried to change the electoral vote in 2016 and you were mad, electors should vote how their states voted now. It's clear that Biden will win the Electoral College. If you were telling people to suck it up in 2016, you have no right to cry foul now. If you were mad because many on the left never accepted the Trump presidency as legitimate, you should set an example by accepting Biden as legitimate. President Trump had four years to win the support of enough Americans to win re-election and he failed to do so. He will have received more raw votes than any other sitting president in history. No one can deny that. And no one can deny that clearly many on the coast and the progressive left are missing what is happening in the rest of America. Certain ideas were rejected by the electorate. Defund the police and socialism were not big winners and helped the GOP pick up House seats and defend other offices across the country. The fact that future leaders like AOC called the opposition to these racial resentment shows they still don't understand. They didn't want Biden, they wanted Bernie Sanders, who would likely have lost to Trump. The fact that Trump underperformed Republicans shows that a sizable portion of the Republican Party rejected Trump, and in many states, that was the difference. Calling us human scum didn't help win us over. Reaching out to us as partners in a better America did. Trump had every opportunity to prove he was better than we thought, and he couldn't do it. He let you down. He didn't fight enough for you. He didn't rise to the occasion. America has moved on. But this is still your America too. You still have a say in what happens. The sooner you come with us to the future, the better chance you have of having a real voice in the process. We are in this together, and America's best days lie ahead. As the late Tupac Shakur told us, I know it seems hard sometimes, but remember one thing. Through every dark night, there's a bright day after that. So no matter how hard it gets, stick your chest out, keep your head up, and handle it. And look, it's not just the fact that many on 
the right who supported Trump can't come to terms with what this election showed. Many on the progressive left are also having an issue trying to understand A, why so many people voted for the sitting president, and B, why they didn't win more House seats or more Senate races or more legislative races across the country. And as I just said, it's because in certain places, ideas were being pushed that the electorate did not want. You know, I saw somewhere that this election was a battle between wokeism and Trumpism, and that many did not like the way that the president conducted himself or the way that he did the public's business. And many people did not like the idea of the woke coming into power to have vengeance and use the same levers of government that we have all been telling Trump not to abuse and hoping that someone else wouldn't abuse them for the sake of revenge. So the compromise that we had was that we elected Joe Biden as president, and it would appear that for right now, the control of the Senate is still going to be in GOP hands. Now, mind you, it would appear that there is a double runoff occurring in Georgia, which means that the two Republican senators from there may lose, right? And there's going to be a huge amount of time, energy, and money spent trying to flip and defend those seats. So if you're in Georgia, I hope you like political ads because you're not going to see the last of them anytime soon. But for the rest of us in states where the elections have been decided for the most part, we're waking up to the reality that while Joe Biden won by a decisive margin, many of the other policies that have been advocated by progressives did not. And this is not to say that progressives didn't have a good night. Turns out about six states, which is all of them that had ballot initiatives related to uh, cannabis legalization, either medical or recreational, all passed. Oregon has passed a decriminalization bill, which I know there's a lot of memes about how that means drugs are all legal there now. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It does mean that they're going more of a Portugal model of drug enforcement, which is actually not a bad idea considering how well Portugal's handled it, but that's a topic for another day. Psychedelic mushrooms, also legalized in Oregon. You had a ton of people of all underrepresented genders and minorities win seats in different houses of Congress and different general assemblies across the country. We saw minimum wage initiatives go through. Arizona passed a tax on upper income earners to help fund their schools. But what you also see is a series of progressive litmus tests being rejected. Out in California, two major propositions one which would reinstall affirmative action, which is, of course, legal discrimination based on race, and one that would end the independent contracting model of business that has made so many businesses successful, many that we've come to use and rely on these days, both were defeated soundly. So it's good to know that in California, in the land of the anti-Trump resistance, that there is some common sense still out there. And here in my own state of Illinois, the fair tax, as it's called, the constitutional amendment to change Illinois' tax structure from a flat tax to a graduated income tax failed. And I don't mean failed as in it didn't reach 60% of the support of the voters or 50% of those who voted on it. I mean 55% of people came out and voted against the amendment. They came out and voted against this 
power grab designed by Pritzker and his Democratic allies to create whole different layers of complexity and uncertainty in our tax structure. And I know many people who are listening to me probably don't agree with me on this. There are many of those who say, how could we possibly not have a progressive income tax when so many states around us have and the federal government does? I'll tell you why. It's because nobody trusts the state government to do what it's supposed to do. No one has trusted them, and with good reason. Illinois is covered in consent decrees from mismanagement of its funds. It has chronically suffered from budget shortfalls year after year, resulting in funds being moved around. We had a constitutional amendment years ago to force spending to go to transportation because it had continually been raided to make holes filled in different budget programs. People do not trust our state government with any more money than it already has. And for those of you saying, well, it's going to result in a tax increase one way or the other, well then, make that argument. Because clearly, if this was such a good idea, it wouldn't have been rejected by 55% of the state. You wouldn't have people out here talking about how we are, we've been misled by these billionaires who have tried to push this on us. You know who was the biggest advocate for this graduated income tax? The governor of our state, J.B. Pritzker, who is himself a billionaire, who pays little to no taxes at all because of his family's massive skills and tax avoidance. Okay, So don't give me that nonsense about how this is what billionaires wanted when literally this was the centerpiece of J.B. Pritzker's agenda. He was depending on this progressive income tax to pass so that he could try to jack rates up on upper income levels to eventually raise it on pretty much everybody to finally put retirement income in that same category and to give more money to a state that no one is trusted for years. This is not about us not understanding how tax rates work. This is not us about this is not about us being blindsided by billionaires who are telling the rubes how to vote. This is people who do not have confidence in our state government to do the right thing. That is the bigger issue. And now you're seeing it with both J.B. Pritzker, and sorry, J.B. Pritzker, Tammy Duckworth and Dick Durbin, and numerous other Democrats saying that Mike Madigan should resign. Because, surprise, surprise, they figured out that having this man who is an unindicted co-conspirator in a $200 million criminal conspiracy be representative of, the, of one of the state parties and in control of half of our government is bad. Now, does he know that? And do his loyalists know that? Who knows? Probably not. He'll probably maintain his speakership again, despite the increase in dissension, because he's got ruthless people on his side who will throw anyone under the bus to maintain their power structure. And many people who will throw their own principles out the door because it means that they will have a shot at power in the state government. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like an interesting parallel between Donald Trump and the federal government? It's because it is. It's because people don't like corruption and they don't like incompetence. Which means if they don't like Donald Trump, they're going to vote against Donald Trump if they don't like Mike Madigan, they're going to vote against Mike Madigan. People are going to act as if they've been disrespected, and they're not going to respond well to those who continue to insult them, who 
think they don't understand what the issues were they voted on. See, the problem that we have here is that both sides think that they lost and that they only lost because the other side was misrepresentative or that they didn't fight hard enough for their ideas or that it's someone else's problem because we were right the whole time. And if anybody else says otherwise, they're at fault. You know, while Democrats here in this state are making decisions and discussions about what to do about Speaker Madigan and the anchor that weighs around their neck, many at the national level are wondering how they could have been so wrong in their projections in terms of gains in the House and the Senate. How could they be so off in terms of what they thought was a winning message? Turns out defund the police was not a winning message. And it turns out trying to rationalize away what defund the police actually meant is not a winning message. Turns out that advocating for a complete ab absolution and destruction of the police department is not a winning strategy. Turns out trying to implement socialism, particularly among people who have escaped socialist countries, bad socialist countries, is not a winning strategy. You see that in the fact that the president actually increased his support among white women, among Hispanic men, and among African American men. He had a higher vote total than he did last time from these groups. And what is the response from the left? What is the response to the idea that people don't like the slogans defund the police and that democratic socialism is what we need? They call it racial resentment. That's right. You're racist. That's why you didn't vote for these candidates. And if you're one of these people of color or women who voted for Trump, turns out you're actually white. Yes, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 infamous project, which I will have another podcast on in the future to give an update about that, said that whiteness can be extended to those who voted for Trump even if they're Hispanic or Latino or black. Just wow. I'm amazed that in this election where the progressive left can take solace in the fact that they defeated an in a sitting president in the largest numbers ever still doesn't understand why they didn't have as big of a victory and has taken the wrong lesson from this. Instead of realizing that it sounds like people don't want the president, but they also don't want a lot of what the Democratic Party is selling. They're just saying that we're racist. And if we're not racist, we're white, which makes us racist. And that's the reason we voted against these things. Like, how are you not getting this? You know why they're not getting this? It's because AOC lives in a heavily blue district that she will never face serious competition in. So when she goes in her district and talks about Medicaid for all and the Green New Deal and all this other stuff, she's already in a position where she doesn't have to compete against anybody. But if you're in a district that's much closer, if you're out in the suburbs, if you're trying to deal with the negative effects of what they're talking about, you're going to have a much harder time. And instead of realizing that maybe they're the problem and they should let you run your own race, they say you're the problem and your voters are the problem. Because they don't understand. They don't understand what you say when you mean when you want to ban fracking. It's their fault they don't understand that 
Yeah, I want to take their jobs away, but think of the environment. And I'm not going to come up with a plan to help them. I'd rather come up with a plan to reorganize all of society so that we can have more wind turbines. I would rather have a Green New Deal that forces us to reorganize the entire economy at massive expense, even though there are easier, better, common sense solutions to climate change that don't involve restructuring the entire economy that we've come to know and live by. Maybe there are police reforms that can be made instead of just abolishing police departments entirely and assuming that by just giving the money to other government agencies that we'll be able to solve all of these problems. I'm amazed that they just aren't able to grasp this. And you know what? Maybe that's part of the problem of having gerrymandered districts and intellectual bubbles where people never are forced to deal with someone they disagree with is that they can always just retreat into their comfort zone and try to convince themselves that if my ideas were rejected, it's not me that's the problem. It's not my ideas that is the problem. It's the people who rejected me. They don't have logical reasons for rejecting me. They did it because they're racist. Or they did it because they are trying to maintain power with the oppressors, as Charles Blohar the New York Times wrote recently, much to being mocked. How can you win an election in such massive numbers and still act like you're the victim? That is truly amazing. It is truly amazing that in a world where Joe Biden won against all odds, against a sitting president who got the most votes of any sitting president ever, that the people who support him, at least to his left, act as if they somehow are the losers in this story because they didn't get all of what they wanted. Just amazing. Just It's just amazing how this is why they're going to continue to not have massive majorities in the future because they don't understand what they're saying doesn't fly in large parts of America. And instead of trying to understand what the rest of America thinks or trying to at least maybe tweak what they say to make it sound more relatable or maybe even just, you know, compromise on something, they go back to their intellectual bubbles and say, you know, that's their problem. We're just going to have to try harder. We're just going to have to buy more ads, buy more Facebook ads, be more woke and more in their face and start making lists of anybody who's ever cooperated with the Trump government. Just you guys aren't getting it. Man. Sorry for yelling, but I just need to get that off my chest. On a much nicer note, I want to talk about something that's important to me. And it's going to be what the title of this episode is going to be. And that's called Vindication. Have you ever been vindicated? As in, you sat against either concurrent opinion of the American populace or your own political party's populace. Or you were just told on so many levels that you would be wrong and you had no idea what you were talking about. And when you come on the other side and you you win and you're right, the sweet sense of vindication that's there, of knowing that when you made those bets and made those stands and planted your flag, you did so with the utmost integrity and understanding of the facts of the time, and you were right. That's why I love elections, because elections are vindication. Elections are math 
about ideas, about whose ideas we've decided to implement, about who we keep in these plans, and how we move forward as a country. And I do want to, not to sound selfish, but I want to give myself a bit of vindication because while many people are shocked by what's happening, anyone who's been paying attention or and at least tried to make a good faith effort at this knows that this is what was going to happen. And to my point, on my personal LinkedIn page, which if you find me under Steven Anderson on LinkedIn, the subtext is Atrium Magister Professor and Consultant if you can't find me. I wrote an article on November 29th, 2019 called Impeachment, Acquittal, Election, Verdict. It's Occam's razor, stupid. So the gist of it is that I wrote about Occam's razor, which is, of course, the idea that the simplest solution is the most likely one, at least the paraphrased version of it, which is that when we're looking at all the facts here, that instead of trying to create any unnecessary complication, that the most likely answer is the one that we're going to go with. So on this page, where I wrote about this in 2019, in November of 2019, this was still before the primaries had started, where who was going to be the Democratic nominee was truly up for grasp. And there was polling done about Trump versus Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. At a time when many progressives believed that Joe Biden was old news and on his way out the door and Uncle Joe needed to retire, the polls at the time showed that Joe Biden was the only one of these three major candidates who would win in polling. And it had him even in Michigan, it had him winning in Pennsylvania, winning in Wisconsin, winning in Florida, winning in Arizona, and losing in North Carolina by two. So of course, Looking back, as Joe Biden has won Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Arizona, only being wrong on Florida's pretty good context, if you ask me. Going back beyond before the pandemic happened, any of us could really know how this election was going to turn out. But what happened, in case you don't remember? Donald Trump was impeached. He was going to face trial in the Senate. The Senate acquitted him. And the American public voted for a new president. Now, it's hard to think about because impeachment was not brought up a lot during the campaign, even though it at one point was supposed to be a defining issue for both sides. That was overshadowed by COVID. And that was also overshadowed by the protest over racial injustice and just the other... 10,000 things Trump did after impeachment but before his electoral defeat. You know, we tend to forget about this. But the fact of the matter is, is that the vast majority of the public, and by vast, I don't mean like 60%, but the majority of the public, right around 50, 51% or so, thought that Trump should have been removed from office. And if you wouldn't, if you look at it now, roughly 51% of America decided to remove Trump from office. It's almost as if, as I said before, that Trump was never able to win a majority of popular support. And sure enough, for four years, when he had the opportunity to try to win more support, when he tried to grow in certain areas, he didn't. That's not to say, as I mentioned earlier, 
that he didn't get increased support among white women, Hispanic men, and African American men. That obviously did happen. But he also lost a percentage of white men in the suburbs. And he underperformed Republicans in numerous states, which means Republicans, like myself, voted for Joe Biden or didn't vote for Trump at all, or didn't vote for president, and voted Republican the rest of the ticket down. They voted against specific ballot initiatives, as I mentioned earlier, and they voted for Republican and conservative candidates. Meaning that in large parts of the country, they wanted to have, I guess, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell still be in office, but they didn't want Donald Trump. And if you're me, this is the best of both worlds, because it says that while we don't agree with everything the Democratic Party has done, we very much have a problem with the one particular person in charge. And that one particular person, despite having a large number of votes in his support, which was all legitimate, lost by an even larger margin of votes. His electoral college vote is going to be smaller, because as many people may not remember, when the Electoral College votes actually came down in 2016, he had two people that were supposed to vote for him not vote for him, so he won with 304 electoral votes. Not to say that that can't happen in the future, but odds are Joe Biden's going to keep all 306 of his votes. So Joe Biden will win by a higher electoral vote margin and by a much, much, much higher popular vote margin. And I know I've said before, the popular vote isn't what decides... American elections not always but if it correlates with the electoral college vote it does indicate that a vast majority of the country is in one direction both in terms of the popular number of people across all states and the electoral coalition needed to win the White House Joe Biden was able to do that and looking back now I don't think Bernie Sanders Elizabeth Warren or anybody else could have had that same kind of appeal. For many never-Trump Republicans like myself and conservatives who weren't fans of President Trump, we were all banking on Joe Biden winning the Democratic primary, knowing that he was a man that we could do business with. He was a man who didn't hold petty grudges, who wouldn't abandon conservative principles on a dime, and specifically thanked us in his inauguration speech as part of his electoral coalition. So we know he wants to listen to us. We know he can make deals. The Republican establishment knows this, but they're also trying to wait out the president who unfortunately in his wailing and flailing in his last days is trying to consolidate support among the Republican party. And it's like, guys, you don't have to listen to him anymore. He's no longer relevant. Many of you won without him. Many of you got votes that he didn't, which means that the never Trumpers that he has called human scum and relevant and also dangerous were the key in many places for Joe Biden's electoral victory. And that's nobody's fault but Trump's. Our votes are not owed to anybody. We're allowed to make our own decisions. And it was Donald Trump who decided that there were certain people he did not want to be part of his electoral coalition. To his detriment, he may have gained votes in some places, but he lost votes in others. And it turns out that loss of votes was enough for him to lose the presidency. And it's oh so sweet. 
because since 2015, I've had to deal with this man being the leader of my party for years to our detriment. In Illinois, before Donald Trump came, we had a Republican governor, we had a Republican senator, we had two extra Republican congressmen, we had broken super minority status in the General Assembly, and we were very well on our way, if Hillary Clinton had won, to continue to make gains. But no, Trump won and decided that he became the GOP and the GOP became him. And if you were in a blue state like this, where you had to win the support of Democrats and moderate voters, that they were completely turned off by him, irrelevant of anything we tried to do. Sure enough, that backlash resulted in us losing Mark Kirk in 2016 and Leslie Munger as well. It resulted in Bruce Rauner losing in 2018, along with Peter Roskam and Randy Holtgren, which are the two other Republican congressmen that were there before Trump. And the only reason that we were able to do well this year is because people were able to separate themselves from Trump when they voted for other things. Yes, Biden won by a pretty good number, as did Dick Durbin. But the progressive income tax lost, which means that for a lot of people when they were out voting, they voted against the income tax and they probably voted for Biden and for Dick Durbin. They probably voted for their other congressional reps as well. But the biggest issue that Pritzker tried to push along with Madigan failed. And across the country, we saw Trump lose his lead while other Republicans held theirs as mail-in ballots came in. Some places less so. Some places the Democrats did pull ahead, but for a lot of people who voted, their primary objective was to get rid of Trump. That was the biggest deal because Trump, the man, is one of the biggest problems. Say what you will about Trumpism and what that means for the future, but it would be much harder for Trumpism to succeed when the president is not Donald Trump. And particularly when his personal traits become the determining factor in how our government works and his personal traits turn off a large number of people, he never was going to win in the first place. That's the thing with Trump. He came out of nowhere, politically speaking, in terms of being a considered a legitimate candidate for a political party's nomination, nonetheless the presidency, but he won. He shocked the system. And back then, as I mentioned before, when he won, I laughed. I laughed hysterically. And as I walked around in this crazy world where Donald Trump was president, I saw everyone around me who, was, who did not vote for him in despair and anger and pure rage. Many of whom, to this day, never truly accepted the fact that he won. And to be clear, the Russians did interfere on his behalf. They didn't actually change the vote totals, but the, the way that information was shared about his opponent was designed to increase support for Donald Trump. And it seems very clear the Trump campaign was aware of that and was trying to maximize it on their own for their own benefit. 
that being said, Trump did legitimately win a majority of electoral votes in 2016. And many people probably never got over that. But you know what? They protested, they rallied, they organized, and over the course of a midterm and a presidential election, turnout has gone up to the roof. Fundraising is through the roof. There are more women now in Congress than ever before. We're going to have a female vice president, and she will likely be the presidential nominee in 2024. So it's possible that this is also the beginnings of the first female president. I've argued that Trump has made the Democratic Party and the left great again in this country, and it's not without reason. 2018 was a massive repudiation of Trump, and this year was somewhat of a, I wouldn't say a backlash to that, but more of a slight dialing back in that a lot of us didn't want Trump, but we were not signing up for the progressive income taxes or the defunding the police or the trying to excuse rioting as police as peaceful protest. We were just trying to get rid of Trump which is exactly what happened. And the fact that he lost, and the fact that his team is struggling to come up with any kind of rationalization to protect him, just shows that the man was never capable of being a real leader. Sure, there are some accomplishments that he have that may last in the future. The First Step Act will obviously be expanded upon. Hopefully his foreign policy initiatives can have some credence in a Biden administration working towards greater peace in the Middle East. Ideally, this isolationist anti-free trade policy will end and we will go back to a place where we continue to be an economic leader on the world stage. We will also have respect for our military and NATO allies, again, from someone who understands what it means to have these kind of alliances. But we'll also have potentially a Senate where so-called fiscal conservatives will still maintain a majority. But you can see if it's this close and there are Republican senators who are friendly with the Biden administration, whether that's Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins or whoever else, there are enough people. The vote total is just so that it's possible that while Mitch McConnell will be able to stymie some things. He won't be able to stop everything. And he's not going to be able to keep every single member under control. Particularly if they won and Trump lost. Ideally, they are no longer in a place where they have to answer to him or those voters. And they can work with the Biden administration to get some things done. Because mind you, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We are still in the middle of a public health crisis like not seen in 100 years and that this administration, the Trump administration, has failed to take it seriously to the point where large parts of the top layers of our government have been infected with coronavirus, including the president himself, who then proceeded to act like it was not a big deal. I'm optimistic about the future. I'm optimistic about America because I believe America made the right choice this election in terms of a Joe Biden presidency and a close enough Senate where not everything that the progressive left wants will be pushed through. But perhaps we can 
achieve some real compromise and start making the initial start making the initial investments in the future that we need. That will include relief for the coronavirus that's still raging on us. Possibly some actual infrastructure bills that will help put people back to work and build places that are crumbling. Perhaps it'll mean a re a renewed emphasis on human rights in places like China, better strategic partnerships with places like India, we can pivot towards where the new power structures are in the East, China, and their increasing attempts to exert influence on the world with their dangerous authoritarian communist ideology. Ideally, we're going to live in a world where a Joe Biden presidency and a conservative Republican Senate will put in people who are going to work in all Americans' interest. And our government will not be held hostage by one man's personal grievances. Anyway, folks, I'm happy with what happened. If you're not, that's understandable. Losses are hard. Been through a lot of losses myself. A lot of my candidates I voted for over the years haven't won. And when you feel like you don't really have any power and that your vote is effectively nullified, it's very disheartening. But now, now in a world where the man I voted for president won and the progressive income tax lost, where hope and decency seem to be on the up and up and ideally partisan polarization might be on the DL, that maybe we could just put aside our differences long enough to get through this pandemic, long enough to let us and the GOP figure out a post-Trump strategy, whether that's staying in the GOP, reforming the GOP, or creating something new, and maybe for the Democrats and the progressive left to understand that with Trump no longer in office and Trump derangement syndrome no longer driving many people, how well will their own ideas hold? Will they be able to convince a majority of their own members? Will they be able to convince Joe Biden? Will there be a bipartisan compromise? Because from what everything we've seen with Joe Biden, he's a man who embraces those who disagree with him and learns from where he's lost and where he makes mistakes. I very much look forward to having a diverse cabinet of anywhere from center-left to center-right to maybe some progressive and some conservative members, depending on where they go, helping to implement an American agenda that will really make a difference. Many years from now, we're going to look back on the Trump presidency. From the generally the whole 2015 to 2020 part of this decade and just probably just look back in amazement that we lived through this that when you look at all of the jokes that were made about Trump running for president for years everyone who enabled him whether it was people in the media whether it was people in the conservative movement whether it was opportunists who saw a chance to enrich themselves in a way we're all responsible for the Trump presidency because we collectively decided that at some point Trump was a worthy candidate for office and that the system needed a shock and that's exactly what it got. 
But if you look at it now, if you look at most of the elections that have happened, at least since I've been alive, from Bill Clinton to George Bush to Barack Obama to Donald Trump, it seemed like the American population was always pushing for change. It was always pushing for the next outsider who didn't have as much connections to Washington and was the next person to truly shake up the system on our behalf. But it seems like after doing that a few times, after dealing with the indiscretions of Bill Clinton and the beginnings of watching a president lie to our faces and get away with it and increase his popularity, after a Bush presidency that had a lot of ups and downs and a Barack Obama presidency that it seems like most people with the election of Joe Biden at least tentatively approve of. But with Joe Biden being someone who's been in this game for a long time, 47 years now, it seems like the while this is a change election in that it was a referendum on Trump, it really wasn't a change election in that we wanted someone who doesn't have any Washington experience. We wanted someone who had a lot of experience in Washington. Turns out when you elect someone with no experience in the position and whose personality is such that it makes governing almost impossible, it turns out you can turn off a large part of the American population like that. To the point where someone like Joe Biden, who years before this, as we all remember, was a meme and a punchline and an afterthought, all of a sudden became, and I'm not joking, apparently the savior of democracy everywhere. Because as he won, we saw celebrations not just in America, but across the world. Church bells ringing in Paris, fireworks in London, celebrations in Japan and Australia, all around the world. Places where democracy is part of their lives. People were celebrating. And that's not to say that international views matter that much in who we pick as the American president. But the fact that many of us celebrated that we won and the rest of the world sees us as being liberated from ourselves, it should tell you what Trump's done to our international reputation. Worse than Obama, worse than Bush, beyond unnecessary apologies and aggressive action, we had incoherence, we had disruption, we had deference to autocrats and dictators, and we saw disgust with our allies. And you know what? They seemingly have an interest in who we pick too. They don't get a vote. They're allowed to have an opinion about it. Turns out many of them were happy Joe Biden won. Turns out a majority of America is happy that Joe Biden won. So it turns out we've seemed to come to this place where we've kind of over, not overcorrected, but maybe corrected ourselves to where we're putting someone in charge that we believe is fundamentally a good person who we don't always agree with, but we're also trying to institute checks and balances on the system. And let's not forget, if you're a Trump supporter and you're mad, the fact that the court system is now packed with people he appointed, which isn't something that I guess he really can get credit for since he just got a list and was told to pick and just went off of the suggestions. But knowing that there's this pro-free speech originalist sector of the judiciary and of course a Supreme Court that is technically 6-3 conservative 
it's possible that we're in a place where America will continue to try to fight overreach, reinsert checks and balances, and reinsert itself into the world as a place where civility and order and dignity and human rights matter. I can only hope that as time goes on, many of my fellow Republicans who are who voted for Trump and support the president come to the realization that he didn't win. He put up a hell of a fight. No one can deny that. But he lost. He lost by a lot. And the American people have spoken. And the same way that we marshaled our forces, we watched President Trump give his inauguration on January 20th, 2017, talking about American carnage and returning America back to the people, the people decided that they didn't want him anymore. The people decided to go with somebody different. Somebody who isn't exactly new, but somebody that they truly believe has the character needed. And as it turns out, we're long past this point where character matters because back in the 90s, people excused Bill Clinton's terrible ethical behavior because the economy was good and they were getting what they wanted. And in the Donald Trump era, people excused his terrible ethical behavior because the economy was good and they were getting what they wanted. And now, in an era where apparently nobody's happy about the results because we have a Joe Biden presidency and a Republican Senate, I am thrilled because this means we're going to have people who are going to be forced to compromise, who are going to be forced to make deals happen, and I believe will work in America's best interest. If you didn't vote for Joe Biden, it's still your country. You still have a say in the matter. And clearly, when you came out and voted for other Republicans and against these progressive initiatives, you decided that you didn't have to take everything they were selling you. If you're a Democrat, you defeated an incumbent president who got more votes than any other president ever. And you beat him by the largest margin ever by a solid electoral victory that is in no real dispute. It's only a matter of time. The wheels are turning. The military and the Secret Service have already made the, have made the necessary maneuvers to get things started. We're waiting on certain government officials to sign off on it and get it started. And Joe Biden apparently has wasted no time with his transition. He plans to hit the ground running, it seems. And while Trump may try to fight and claw and scratch his way back to victory and then probably not attend the inauguration. This is who he always was. And I'm sure some people want this. Some people want him to do this. But all it's going to show is that you didn't learn the lesson. People voted for character in this presidential election. And the president's character has been shown clearly, loudly, and strongly for everyone to see. And it has been rejected by the largest number of votes ever in American history. It feels good to be vindicated. And sure, people have been calling me a sore winner. And sure, people called me insensitive in 2016. So it turns out everybody hates me, it seems. But it must mean I'm doing something right. Because when people called President Trump an illegitimate president, I told them that they were wrong that he won fair and square, and that he had a chance. And you know what? Over the course of those years, 
President Trump did more stuff I disliked than I liked. I'm not going to pretend that everything he did was a failure, but a lot of stuff he did was. And you know, the biggest problem with Trump is Trump himself. Trump's unique appeal that got him to break through the establishment and win was also what prevented him from being an effective administrator of the federal government. And the American people have decided they want effective administration and that they want Joe Biden. We're going to have to live with that. I'm confident in the future and I believe you should be too, but if you're not, you have a right to feel that way. As I mentioned before, we're going to get through this. I would hope that the Trump administration would come to its senses and start the process of transitioning. And I would hope that it doesn't require Trump to actually do anything. He could just get the process started, let everybody else do the work for him, and just go golf. Go to Mar-a-Lago. Just, just, you don't even have to come to the inauguration, man. You had your chance. You're going to be forever immortalized in the list of presidents. You're going to have all of these things and accomplishments that no one can take away from you, but you're also going to have to own your loss. You're going to have to own the fact that you failed the people who voted for you. And the people who voted for you are now going to have to come to a world where their views will have to be adjusted because they no longer are in power. Trump supporters, Biden supporters, Joe Jorgensen supporters, the future is bright. Pandemic aside, the American future is bright. It is better than it's ever been. And we should continue to have faith in our system. It is clear our system works. And it's clear our system of government is still the envy of the world. Even if your desired political candidate or political initiatives lost, you still live in the greatest country in the world. And you still have a say in how that country operates. As other people said, the fight isn't over. This presidential fight is over. But the fight for America's future is ongoing. And while we will have a new president and a somewhat new Senate and a new House, a lot of the players will be the same, a lot of players will be different. But we've gone through the Trump presidency knowing what it can be like. And in a new presidency, in a new Biden administration, it's possible that some of the good things may continue, some of the bad things may stop. There may be new things we don't like and new things we do. We're all going to have to get through it together. In 2022, as much as you probably don't want to hear this, is right around the corner. There'll be a midterm, and we'll see what happens. For now, though, be safe, wear a mask, celebrate responsibly, take a few deep breaths, stop doom scrolling, go out for a walk, have a nice tall glass of water, maybe a glass of scotch. Maybe roll yourself a J, take it edible. But the election.